They are deliberately, deliberately, and I can't emphasize that strongly enough. This is not an accident. This was not a well-intentioned mistake. They are deliberately harming the minds of children. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Hey guys, welcome on back to the Lions of Liberty podcast. This is episode number 136. If you want to find out more about what you're going to hear in this show, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash 136. Today's show is sponsored by our friends at LibertyManiacs.com. You can receive 10% off your entire order of great political and satirical gear by using the discount code Lions of Liberty. We are also sponsored by Health Excellence Select, an exciting and affordable alternative to Obamacare. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is the co-author of Crimes of the Educators, How Utopians Are Using Government Schools to Destroy America's Children. His writing can also be found at worldnetdaily.com. Alex Newman, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Mark. Alex, it's great to have you here, and you know, like I mentioned before the show, reading your book in bed last night, and I mean, honestly, I may as well have been watching Nightmare on Elm Street, because it reads like a horror story, and it, I mean, it didn't literally give me nightmares, but it kept me thinking the whole time, because this is not really your standard sort of, you know, takedown of public education. A lot of people might see the title of this book and think, oh, this is just some right-winger who hates that there's public schools, blah, blah, blah. This is a really intensive look at why we are seeing such high illiteracy rates in schools, why there are so many educational problems today, and it really is eye-opening. So I just want to compliment you guys on that work, first of all. And why don't you just start off telling us, how did this work come together? How did you come across the work of your co-author, Samuel Blumenfeld, who's, who's worked in this area for many, many years, and how did this book come together? Together. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for the kind words, Mark. I'm glad if uh, you're finding the book useful. It, it certainly is horrifying, and a nightmare is a good way to describe it. I mean, the, the information in there is just you know depressing and, and mind-boggling, frankly, but it needs to be out there because our future is at stake. Uh, and so how did the book come together? Well, Dr. Blumenfeld, uh, he passed away uh, June 1st, so he's no longer with us. Oh, wow. I, didn't, I did not realize that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he was 89. He was... Um, ready to go be with the Lord, but uh, you know, this was his last work. But he had been working on this general subject for about 50 years. Uh, he had been studying the education system, and reading in particular was uh, one of his areas of fascination. He, he just totally inadvertently stumbled across a book maybe 60 years ago, uh, Rudolf Flesch's Why Johnny Can't Read, and uh, this really kind of set the course for the rest of his life. Uh, you know, th this was such a, a huge issue that the, the public and the American government schools was being deliberately dumbed down and deliberately handicapped when it comes to reading using this quack method that they're still using in the government schools today, by the way. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, that was his area of expertise. Again, he spent 50 years looking at this kind of stuff. He wrote 11 books on public education, and he really was a pioneer in this field in terms of digging out uh, the research and connecting the dots in a way that nobody had done before. Uh, and so I knew of his work. We had written for um, many of the same publications over the years. Uh, we both wrote frequently for the New American Magazine. Obviously, Sam no longer does for WND and, and for a variety of others. Uh, and I had been writing about education for about five years, focusing mostly on you know what's going on right now with the Common Core and with the UNESCO and with this uh, Obama education secretary, Arne Duncan, who brags that he's... Uh, turning our children into green global citizens using the government schools and whatnot. So, you know, I had been focused for a long time on what was happening now and where this was all going, whereas Sam had looked back into the past and said, how did we get to this awful state? And so, you know, it was, it was a perfect partnership. I, I mean, he, is, he, he, he was probably one of the leading experts on, you know, how we got to this place, literally in the whole world. And, um, you know, when, when I found out that he was working on this book, obviously, I, I jumped at the opportunity to collaborate with him. Uh, you know, I consider him a hero. A lot of people do. Even today, I hear from uh, people all over the world who are impacted by his work. And so that's really the story of, of how it came together. I want to start by looking at the title of the book, because, Alex, it's a pretty serious charge to accuse someone of a crime. So why did you choose this title? What exactly are the crimes of the educators? Uh, great question, Mark. And, you know, we knew going into this that a lot of people were going to look at the title and say, oh, you know, that's uh, hyperbole. They're not really committing crimes. Maybe they're just misguided. Maybe it's just a bad 
philosophy or something. But, uh, you know, what we did with this book is we show, I think, uh, comprehensively and conclusively that these are crimes being perpetrated against children, against our nation, against the Constitution, and, uh, you know, really against education it just in what it should be. And so we've identified a, a number of very specific crimes that could be prosecuted, actually. Uh, and there are uh, some legal people now working on uh, some legal angles from this book, uh, trying to file some lawsuits in the court and stuff. I'll have more news on that, uh, hopefully within the next few months. But uh, I'll start with some of the crimes we identified and give a brief background on why we call them crimes and why we say, uh, you know, that the educators are committing crimes. And I will add one more uh, little caveat before we get into that. When we say crimes of the educators, we don't mean, you know, your, your everyday teacher in your son or daughter's second grade classroom. That's not the educators that we're talking about. Uh, you know, they may be unwittingly assisting in the perpetration of these crimes, but they're certainly not the masterminds behind this system. They're doing what they've been taught at their college of education. They don't know any better. And so Sam and I have argued that teachers, uh, by and large, are just as much victims as the students here who are being dumbed down and uh, and mentally handicapped. But uh, so the first crime we identify, and probably the most serious, depending on you know how you have people's individual values about how serious crimes are, uh, is treason. And that sounds like a pretty fantastic charge. But uh, you know it's not only us who's making uh, these allegations. Now we go back to a report uh, put out in 1983 by a commission that Ronald Reagan set up. It was the National Commission on Excellence in Education, and they said if a foreign power had imposed this mediocre education system on our country, we may well have considered it an act of war. Uh, you know, those are really strong words, especially from a bureaucratic government committee. Uh, that same committee in, in their report, it's called The Nation at Risk. Anybody can go look it up. Uh, they said the education system in this country is now so bad that it threatens our future as a nation and as a people. So what Sam and I say is, uh, well, you know, we, we don't need to say a foreign power uh, did this and therefore it's an act of war to realize that what's going on here, which is the deliberate dumbing down of children, the deliberate infliction of physical harm on children's brains uh, and literally crippling the entire nation for the express purpose. And the, the architects of the system were very open about it for the express purpose of overthrowing our system of government, our constitution, our constitutional republic, our, our individual liberties and moving us toward a totalitarian collectivist socialist system. Uh, we argue that that's treason. I mean, waging war against the United States is treason. Waging war against the Constitution is treason. And, uh, you know, the fact that you're doing it by taking over control of the government schools and dumbing down the students doesn't make it any less treasonous. So, uh, you know, we argue that this is treasonous. It wasn't an accident. I mean, it's clear that this was deliberate. It's still going on and they know the harm that they're doing. So we say that uh, at, at the upper levels, the education establishment is committing treason. And I know, again, that that sounds like a fantastical charge. But I trust that if people look at the information we've provided, if they look at the sources that we've used, uh, you know, that's why we spent so much time on the bibliography. We wanted this to be bulletproof. Uh, you know, we're confident that we've made a very strong case. Uh, we, we highlight a number of other uh, maybe less severe crimes, you might say, depending on how you want to look at them. Um, one of them is uh, contributing to the delinquency of a minor. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I mean, these schools are promoting uh, drug use and promiscuity and uh, pushing drugs on the children and, you know, all kinds of other things that if a parent was doing, for example, they could very easily find themselves prosecuted for uh, contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Uh, we also identify child abuse as a crime. And again, that probably sounds pretty fantastical. But I think once people see the evidence that we've comp compiled in this book, they'll say, oh, my goodness, that is child abuse. They are deliberately deliberately, and I can't emphasize that strongly enough, this is not an accident, this was not a well-intentioned mistake, they are deliberately harming the minds of children. And we'll talk about why later, uh, you know, when, when we get to what's going on with the uh, with the reading stuff. But, uh, I mean, you can, sh you can show now in modern brain scans that uh, the educators, the, the education establishment is causing actual physical damage to children's brains. Uh, and, you know, that's it's simply not acceptable. I mean, if a parent would do that to their own child, they would be prosecuted. Why should we let the government schools do it just because they're operating under the banner of government? Uh, and then we have, you know, a few other ones uh, destroying a child's belief in biblical religion, uh, which we argue is a crime. And, you know, we, we go through a, a big explanation of this. I know more secular readers might uh, disagree with this point in particular. There's still plenty in the book that you'll find interesting. But uh, we argue this is a crime for a number of reasons. One of them is the fact that children are born 
with a natural uh, inherent tendency to toward understanding that there is a God, that they are created, that they are loved, that there is a purpose to life. They didn't come from slime and their life has more value than their pet dog. And, uh, and the schools are doing everything they can to erase this. Now, again, studies show that uh, before children are, are affected, you know, by the schools and by the parents, they naturally believe in God. They, they just have a natural understanding of it. And it takes a lot of brainwashing and a lot of indoctrination to get that out of them. And the schools are determined to do that for very sinister purposes that we expose in the book. Um, then, of course, we have, you know, pushing very powerful drugs on the children, uh, things like, you know, hardcore amphetamines under the guise of treating these uh, invented disorders, ADD, ADHD, all these kinds of things. Uh, psychotropic drugs, antipsychotic drugs, all these different things that they're pushing on the children. And uh, so we argue that, you know, these are a series of very, very serious crimes. They're happening against our children. They're being, uh, they're being perpetrated against taxpayers in terms of fraud. Um, another one of the big crimes we identify is that uh, this education establishment is committing fraud. If a businessman marketed some product and said it was going to do something, uh, teach your child to read, for example, and they took, you know, a trillion dollars from you per year, for example, which is how much we pay in this country for education, so-called every year. Uh, and then the product or the service did the exact opposite. Uh, that businessman would be taken to court and would be prosecuted and would be sued for defrauding consumers. Now, why is it that when the government does that, they say, hey, you know, just give us your children and tons of money and we're going to educate them. And then they do the opposite. They, they uneducate them. They brainwash them. They give them lifelong reading handicaps. Well, why is it that we don't prosecute that as fraud? Well, we say that we should and we could. And, um, you know, if we're going to rescue this country, if we're going to save the, the children and the minds of the children, we need to get really serious about these crimes. This isn't just, you know, a topic for an obscure debate in the back of a bar somewhere. This is thing, things that are happening right now that need to be addressed if our nation is going to survive um, and if our liberties are going to survive. So so those are the main crimes we identify, Mark. So let's get into uh, some of the specifics here. And one thing you, you guys spend a lot of time on in the book is discussing the methods of reading that are used in government schools. And so what is this whole word method, first of all? That, that's the one I never really even heard that, that term before. I don't believe that's how I was uh, taught to read. So why don't you describe the whole word method, what that is, and how it is contributing to illiteracy and, and dyslexia as well, which is what you guys believe is in the book. Sure, absolutely, Mark. And uh, I can tell you, if you were reading the book uh, yesterday without problems and it wasn't hurting your head and you were enjoying it, uh, you probably were not taught using the whole word method. Thank goodness. Well, that's good to know. I'm not dyslexic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I think the simplest way to explain it. Now, Sam has written whole books on this. Uh, his first one back in the 70s, I think the new illiterates uh, really got into the nitty gritty of how this is happening. But to kind of summarize it in an easy to understand way, uh, the easiest thing to compare it to is teaching uh, reading as you would teach in Chinese. So the Chinese, for example, they have a totally different uh, reading and writing system. They use symbols rather than phonetic characters that uh, work together to form words and so on. So uh, using the whole word method, what they're doing is they're teaching the children to read English words as if they were Chinese symbols. Now, let me explain a little bit. Rather than teaching the children phonics, so, you know, they'll say the A has different sounds associated with it. That's an A or an A or, you know, depending on how the A is used. They'll give the kids the whole word. Say the word is cat. Uh, they'll put the word cat there. They'll put it next to a picture of a cat. And then they'll teach the kids. You have to memorize the fact that this set of squiggly lines uh, refers to a cat. They don't tell them uh, until, you know, much later, until after their brains are already damaged, that, hey, the C stands for a C sound, the A stands for a U sound, and the T stands for a T sound. So they're teaching the kids to read the word cat as if it were a symbol. And, um, you know, our brains are not designed to work that way. Our language is not designed to work that way. We have a phonetic alphabet, which is a huge advancement um, over, you know, the pictographic and the symbolic writing systems of the past. And when you try to teach a phonetic alphabet, uh, and a phonetic writing system and a phonetic reading system using this whole word method, what you get is dyslexia. You get permanent reading disabilities. And, uh, you know, we can prove this now. Sam, Sam knew about this long before, you know, the modern age of uh, neuroscience and brain scans and so on. But he connected the dots. Uh, and actually, Rudolf Flesch connected the dots. And even going back to the very beginning, when this whole idea was first uh, developed, uh, it was known that it wouldn't work. So let me go back to the beginning here. Uh, this system was developed by somebody who had nothing but good intentions, as far as I know. It was a reverend, uh, Reverend Thomas Godelet, and uh, in Massachusetts, and he wanted to teach deaf children how to read. So, uh, you know, he knew 
the deaf people obviously can't hear sounds, so you can't teach them uh, to read very easily using phonics. So he said, hey, what if we just teach them to memorize words, uh, and then you know they should at least be able to read and, and write uh, basic things. And you know that, that's a nice idea. It's a great idea. You know, why don't we try that? Let's see if it works on deaf people. They tried it in the schools for non-deaf students in Boston under uh, Horace Mann, who, of course, was the um, maybe we can say the original architect of America's government school system. He uh, he went over to Prussia and imported this Prussian model here into the United States. But uh, so it was tried in the Boston schools. And after a few years, it was such a disaster that it was yanked out and it was never heard from again until uh, John Dewey came along looking for a way to dumb down students so he could move America towards socialism, that this quackery was resurrected. And, uh, you know, Rudolf Flesch again exposed this in 1955 in his book, Why Johnny Can't Read. He said, uh, you know, the way that reading is taught in schools all across this country today flies in the face of all logic and all reason. Here's why. Here's how. And, uh, you know, it was a huge expose. It had a huge impact on the American public at that time. And that's when the reading wars uh, really got underway. The, the struggle between phonics and the whole word, the look, say, the sight method, they have different terms for it, got underway. And, uh, you know, now, again, with the with the advent of things like brain scans, we can even show the physical damage that's done in children's brains uh, who learn how to read using this whole word method, the look, say method or the sight method. Um, and it, essentially what, what it boils down to is uh, our brain is divided into two hemispheres and, and they generally have uh, you know different areas of expertise, if you want to put it that way. Uh, the left brain kind of handles um in, in our system of writing, the decoding of, of words through the phonetic structure and then un uncovering the meaning of what's written on a piece of paper. The right brain, uh, the right side of the brain focuses more on symbols and abstract concepts and things like that. And so when you're teaching children to read using the whole word method, you're getting you're making their right brains try to do something that really should be done by the left side of the brain, by the left hemisphere of the brain. And when you do, again, when you do uh, these brain scans on children, there's a study that was published by uh, Dr. Damane, uh, actually not long before we published our book. And this is really explosive because it confirms everything that Sam had been talking about for 50 years. Uh, you can show the damage in the brains of the children who've been uh, dumbed down and handicapped by learning how to read in this method. Now, it is possible to cure people who have been damaged uh, by this quackery, but it's very difficult. It's very painful. Um, but again, it is possible. And so really, this is one of the center points of our criticism. Uh, the government knows that they're destroying literacy in this country using this method. Now, uh, if we go back to even, say, uh, the turn of the century, the uh, you know, early 1900s, for example, uh, literacy was almost universal in this country. Even back in the days of the founding fathers, literacy was, uh, you know, except among the slaves and some of the new immigrants, was almost universal. Uh, our president, John Adams, said, uh, you know, an American who can't read or write is as rare as a comet or an earthquake. So that, you know, that's pretty rare, right? Um, nowadays, the federal government's own studies show that 55% of Americans can barely read. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're functionally illiterate. So how did we go from, you know, no government education system, almost everybody can read, to a trillion dollars a year on this government monstrosity called the, the public education system, and we're producing more than half of the graduates can't even properly read. Clearly, we have a problem here. Um, it's very easy to deal with this problem. You just teach children to read how reading has been taught from time immemorial in the English language. And um, But, you know, the, the educators aren't interested in doing that because John Dewey, again, had a very deliberate agenda to dumb down the population of the United States and move this country toward socialism, toward collectivism, toward the Soviet model. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, over the last hundred years, that's what we've been seeing. Alex, I mean, this is so much to take in. I mean, I, I just read your book, so I've, I've already taken a lot of this stuff in. But uh, things that come to my mind when hearing this stuff is like, okay, so how extensive is this method being used throughout public schools and being pushed upon people? Because, I mean, we both agree that I, I wasn't taught in this method. I, I was taught phonically, and I, I don't have dyslexia now. But there certainly are many people that I know that have dyslexia. So is it just certain schools that might have used this method? Or are some children maybe more prone to being more affected negatively by this whole word method, this look-say method? How do you really break that down? Why, yes, we have a lot of illiteracy and, and dyslexia in our society, but a lot of people are also coming out of it just fine, able to read and, and all that. Uh, excellent question, Mark. And actually, there's a number of factors at work here. Uh, one of them is that some children actually can learn how to read 
adequately, decently using this whole word method. Now, you know, these children probably would have done far better if they had learned to read using the correct methodology, understanding phonics and understanding how the English writing system works. Uh, but there are some people who can learn to read at least basically, at least, you know, sufficiently using this whole word method. Now, there's other factors that work as well. Uh, I've, I've talked to, oh, I don't even know how many teachers who know about all this and who secretly teach phonics in their schools, believe it or not. Uh, you know, the, 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 do they have to be secret about it? They do. Uh, you know, wow. you have the, the, the school districts, then eventually the states, and now even the federal government mandating how teachers need to teach things. Uh, you have teachers all across this country being educated in colleges of education that have been completely taken over by the uh, Dewey disciples that are teaching teachers that this is how reading is taught. But, uh, you know, once teachers become aware of this, uh, they never go back. I mean, it, it becomes so obvious to them. You know, my last last year, I couldn't teach anybody in my class to read properly. This year, everybody reads great. Uh, clearly, the difference is phonics. And so that's what I'm going to do from here on out. But you have, you know, this education establishment, again, that is bound and determined to continue pushing this method. Now, uh, in the face of all the criticism that started coming toward them after the publication of uh, Johnny Can't, Why Johnny Can't Read and other things, uh, they've tried to come up with some different ways to conceal what they're doing. So now, now, for example, the popular one is they have a balanced approach where first they teach you to memorize lists of sight words. And then later they tell you, oh, yeah, by the way, each letter represents a certain sound. But, you know, after you've already developed the whole word reflex where you're trying to read every word as a symbol, uh, you know, it, it's practically useless to give a little bit of phonics information after that because the reflex is already developed and you can't really undo a reflex without a lot of very hard work. And is that what really creates the, the, the sort of painful conflict in the brain of dyslexics when they're trying to sort of rectify the, the two sides of their brain, trying to do two different things at the, at the same time and sort of merge them? And I've heard them describe it in your book. You have many quotes of dyslexics who talk about this, this mental, almost physical anguish that they go through trying to read. Yeah, and, and it's painful. And the interesting thing about these brain scans that were done uh, is that they show the development of the brain. And what you see in people who learned how to read uh, using the whole word method um, not only are the hemispheres of the brain not as well developed, you also have the connections between the two hemispheres that are absolutely essential for proper uh, functioning of the brain that are not developed as they should be, that are lacking in you know the connections that should be there. And so really, it, this comes down to physical brain damage that's being inflicted on the children who are learning to read this way. Now, uh, you know, a lot of private schools teach using phonics, uh, probably almost all homeschoolers teach using phonics. Uh, and some public schools, uh, and especially some renegade public school teachers, do teach using phonics. But th that those are all the exception, not the rule. The rule in this country is still to teach using this whole word method, sometimes under different names, but uh, it's all the same thing. And it's not only in the schools now. If you look at, uh, for example, The Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss, maybe one of the most popular uh, children's books, this book was specifically written and designed to get children to memorize words. So, uh, you know, sometimes your parents will be totally shocked. Like, hey, how does my five-year-old know how to read some words? Uh, you know, he's never been in school. We never taught him how to read. How did that happen? Well, it's from reading things like Dr. Seuss and, and other books that are designed to, uh, to get that to happen. But they don't really know how to read. They know how to repeat what they've sort of memorized. They know the symbol. They don't really, if, they, if you gave them some new word that they hadn't seen before, they would have no idea how to pronounce it. That's exactly right, Mark. Wow. That's exactly right. And now there are tests out there. Uh, we talk about one quite a bit in the book, the, uh, the Miller test, where you can test children and you can see, did you learn how to read properly or did you learn how to read using this whole word quackery? And, uh, you know, so when you come across a student who is taught to read or not read, as the case may be, using the whole word method, you can identify the problem and then you can say, OK, you need remedial instruction in phonics and we need to get back to systemic intensive phonics to, to deal with this reading disability that you're developing. You know, when I was a teenager, I, I remember this now. It's kind of just a flashback I'm having, but I remember seeing all these advertisements for Hooked on Phonics. This is a big thing. You know, it's all sorts of infomercials on TV about it. Was Is that this kind of thing sort of a response to the gap being filled by so many kids being taught in this method where they just don't totally teach them not to read properly? Is, is stuff like that and maybe the, the rise of tutoring and that kind of thing directly related to the pushing of this whole word method, which has caused so much illiteracy in the country? No question about it. I mean, everybody's looking for solutions. Now, here are the education establishment that we've referred to. Uh, you know, they're milking this for everything it's worth. They say, oh, look at this illiteracy crisis. How did this happen? 
We need billions more dollars for studies and committees and materials and tutors and extra PhDs and, you know, all kinds of other nonsense. When really the problem is very simple. Uh, if they would read, you know, any of the great books out there on the subject, they would identify and understand the problem immediately. But th that's not what they're interested in, right? They're interested in perpetuating themselves. They're interested in dumbing down the population of the United States and, and really the whole world now. You have UNESCO now, uh, the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, pushing the same quackery at the global level. And um, th that's exactly you know what this rise in tutoring and special education and dyslexia remedies and you know all these remedial programs, all of this really traces back to the literacy issue. And so do so many of the other problems, because when you can read, you can acquire information for yourself, right? As long as you know how to read, you can become a very well-educated person all on your own. You can read your Bible, your constitution, your science books, your history books, the, you know, the founding fathers paper. You can read anything you feel like it because reading is fun and it's very easy. When you don't know how to read, when you've been uh, dumbed down using this whole word method, reading is painful and, and in some cases impossible. So, you know, are you going to go to the library and pick up a book about history or, or you know, the Western civilization or, or science or anything else? And the answer is no, you're not. You're going to turn on the TV. You're going to listen to your government school teacher. And, you know, that's going to be your sole source of information. So across the board, so many of these problems that we see in education today trace right back to this deliberate destruction of literacy. So, Alex, how is this related? You guys kind of tie this into some other issues that, that uh, we talk about often here. And uh, one of those is the rise of psychotropic drugs being used on children in schools. And in many ways, it seems to be a response to this, this kind of internal conflict that these kids have. They have uh, dyslexia. They have issues in school. They know that something internally is wrong with the way they're being taught. So many of these kids lash out and they're immediately pointed at and, and said, OK, you have a disease. You have ADD. You have ADHD. So what is the connection between these diseases and the psychotropic drugs being prescribed to the, all these students out there with what you've been talking about with the, the illiteracy and all these, these reading methods? Well, I, I think there's a very direct link between the two. First of all, people need to understand ADD and ADHD, these are not real diseases. I mean, you can't go to the hospital and have like a, you know, a diagnosis. They're not going to do an x-ray and say, oh, you have ADD. They're not going to do a blood test and say, oh, you have ADD. Uh, these are, quote unquote, disorders that are invented by psychiatrists. They, they come up with a list of symptoms and, you know, all in favor of declaring this to be a disorder, say, I, OK, I. And so then they add it to their little uh, I, I, I promise you that's how it's done. Uh, and they add it to their little uh, DSM. Wait, do they actually vote on, on what's a disease? They do. And, and they vote on the <laughs> symptoms and, and what the alleged treatments are and so on. If it wasn't so serious, it would be hilarious. But <laughs> Exactly, yeah. And so a lot of people don't know that. You know, they think there's some kind of objective truth behind this, these psychiatric labels. Uh, you know, it, it's not medicine. It, it's not like traditional medicine where you go and you can get an objective yes or no answer. Yes, the x-ray shows your arm is broken. Uh, yes, your blood test shows that you have uh, you know, a high white blood cell count and therefore you have some kind of infection. This is totally different. You go in with a subjective list of symptoms. They say, okay, yep, 10 years ago, the uh, American Psychiatric Association voted that this should be a disease and they voted that this should be the treatment. So here you go. Uh, but if you look at the symptoms uh, of what is called ADD and what is called ADHD, it's exactly what you would expect to see if you put a child in an environment like a government school. You tried to dumb him down. You brainwashed him. You used, uh, you know, Pavlovian strategies and Skinnerian uh, behaviorism and, and this kind of uh, punishment reward psychological, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, quackery in the schools. You get the exact reactions that you would expect. Children don't want to be there. They lash out. They can't sit still. They don't respect their teachers. They don't respect the people running the schools. And, you know, who can blame them? If I was being dumbed down in one of these schools and I was being, uh, you know, treated as some kind of animal at, at the circus, you know, being taught to, to jump through hoops or something, uh, you know, I would not be very happy about that either. And, and so I can't really blame a lot of these kids that lash out and, and don't have any interest in going to the government school and learning the nonsense that they're trying to teach them. So I sympathize. And I, I think really this is what we're seeing. I mean, you have kids that, uh, you know, they go into school and they, they feel super smart. You know, they learn their language all on their own. And then suddenly, uh, hey, oh, I can't read. Uh, you know, what's wrong with me? Am I stupid? Do I need special education? Well, you know, I don't think the school thing is for me. So, uh, you know, I would rather fool around with my friends. I would rather, you know, draw funny pictures in my notebook. I have no interest in paying attention to what's going on here. And so then the schools respond and the psychiatric establishment responds and they say, oh, OK, well, then you have uh, this disorder. And to deal with this alleged disorder, we're going to pump you full of, um, you know, drugs that under any other circumstance would be recognized as 
hard drugs with high potential for abuse, extremely high potential for dangerous side effects. Uh, I mean, just read the warning labels on these things. They tell you, you know, side effects, suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts, uh, depression, uh, you know, kidney disorders, uh, brain disorders, heart failure. Uh, it, it's just unbelievable. And they're pushing this on the kids at school as if it were some sort of medicine to deal with some sort of disease. And uh, first of all, these are not medicines. These are, again, hard drugs. You know, you could walk down to a street corner and buy this kind of drugs from your local drug dealer. It would be called crystal meth. Um, I mean, that's what it is. These are amphetamines that they're putting in these pills and they're telling the kids that it's medicine. And, you know, the naive parents, they don't know any better. They're, oh, my kid's not behaving at school. OK, I guess they say I need to give him these amphetamines. I guess I'll do that. Uh, and, you know, it's just it's, it's a travesty. They're destroying the minds of these children. These drugs are very dangerous. They have potentially lifelong side effects. And uh, and all of it is, is trying to treat something that the schools themselves inflicted. So, you know, this is just perverse to the extreme. And uh, like you said earlier, it might be funny if it wasn't so tragic. And anecdotally speaking, I mean, when I was in high school, I, I was never put on drugs like that. But I knew many people that were. And many of my friends, I'll say, they, they would go home at night and sometimes they would sit in their room and snort this stuff. They would chop up their Ritalin and snort it. So, I mean, th there's no doubt that this can lead to further drug use. I mean, if you're if you're being handed drugs and you're you're sitting at home snorting Ritalin, you don't think you're going to go maybe actually in later in life find some crystal meth or find some cocaine or something like that. And I mean... It, even in college, I knew many people that were just popping Adderalls left and right that were prescribed to them because they, quote unquote, needed it to learn, needed it to focus. But it seems like a lot of this stuff can all be traced back to many of these original methods that were used to teach them. Uh, it's just absolutely shocking when you can kind of put all these dots together and you can see the progression of how it affects people's lives for so many years down the road. Yep, no doubt about it. And, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. When I was in university, there was a thriving black market in these drugs. People consumed them for fun. You know, they would, they would sniff these Adderalls and go out to the clubs and, you know, get drunk or whatever. Uh, this is serious stuff. This is not stuff that you want to be uh, filling little 10-year-old boys with because they're not sitting still in a class because they're being dumbed down at their government school. Again, it's, it's dangerous stuff, and parents really need to think about this. I mean, you know, don't just mindlessly take the word of your school and, and the school psychiatrist when deciding whether to give your child mind-altering drugs. This is serious business here. Alex, I want to touch on kind of tying all of this together into what's gone on in the last few years. Uh, we mentioned Common Core and uh, this new you know, secretary that, that President Obama has appointed, Arne Duncan. First of all, just describe what Common Core is, because I got to admit ignorance on it. I know, you know what I've read from some articles here and there and when, what you've touched on in your book, but he's described to people out there what exactly is Common Core, because for so many people, I think it's just nothing more than a political football right now. Sure. Um you know, it, it, it's a huge, huge, huge program. And, and so there's so many dimensions to it. You know, we could talk for three hours about it and we'd never even finish scratching the surface. But essentially what it is, is it's a set of so-called standards uh, that the Obama administration is bullying and bribing state governments to impose on the government schools. Uh, and they have, you know, they have big bribe money here. We're talking billions of dollars that came from the stimulus to, to bribe and, and arm twist the state governments into imposing this. And um, basically, these are a set of standards. Uh, they're supposedly only dealing with English and math, but the English standards really infect all elements of the school. I and mean, we're talking science, social studies, uh, history, uh, you know, all of it. And um, first of all, I mean, if you just scratch the surface, you can say the standards are absolutely terrible. Nobody should, should willingly subject their children to this. And this isn't just my opinion. Uh, I'll, I'll give you just you know, two quick examples that I think will prove my point well enough that we can move on to something else. Um, this, the Common Core people, shall we say, it was a whole bunch of shadowy front groups and federally funded organizations and lobbying organizations and, uh, Achieve Inc. headed by, uh, you know, Council on Foreign Relations types and Bilderberg types who came up with this Common Core. But, uh, the Common Core people, after they had developed these terrible, terrible standards, um, they said, all right, let's put together a validation committee. So, so at least we can have a rubber stamp and people can say, yep, somebody looked at these and they look okay. Uh, so they put two subject matter experts on this panel and only two. It was called the Common Core Validation Committee. Uh, multiple members have described this committee as a rubber stamp. And uh, so they put two experts in the subject matters on this committee. The first one was Dr. Sandra Stotsky. She was the expert in uh, English language arts. A uh, great woman who I've talked to a number of times. Um, and she said, hey, these standards are terrible. 
Yeah, you're going to reduce the critical thinking abilities of children. You're taking out all the great literature and you're replacing it with uh, executive orders from Obama and EPA regulations. You're going to you're going to harm the minds of children with this nonsense. I'm not signing off on. Then we get to the math side. You had Dr. James Milgram of Stanford, uh, the mathematics expert, and he said, "Hey, I'm not signing this. I, I'm not putting my name on this garbage. This is as non-challenging as possible." It's uh, and get this. This is mind blowing. Everybody should go look up his letter if you don't believe me. And actually, his letter is worthwhile reading anyway. Uh, he says some of these standards are based on incorrect math. And so the Obama administration said, hey, that's great. Let's roll this out in uh, schools all across the country. And, uh, you know, this is subject to change, of course, now that the standards have infected about 45 states. Um, you know, they can change it at any time. Now that they're working on the science standards, the next generation science standards, really what it is, is an indoctrination program. And it, and it serves several purposes. Uh, one of the most important ones is it removes all final vestiges of local control over the government schools, right? So the theory was we pay our local property taxes so that our local governments can fund our local schools, and we're going to hold our local schools accountable with our you know local school board that we're going to elect and who are going to control what goes on in these schools. Well, under Common Core, you might as well get rid of the school board. I mean, there's no more purpose to it. All, all the standards are going to be set in Washington, D.C., through the Common Core, and whether you like it or not, if you don't like the standards in your school, you can't talk to your school board. You can't talk to your state legislature. You can't even talk to Congress. You can't talk to anybody uh, because, again, these are trade organizations, lobbying organizations funded by the federal government, but not part of the government that are running this. Uh, obviously, Bill Gates was one of the big financiers, right? I think he put uh, two billion with a B of his own money behind this. And, you know, anybody who knows Bill Gates's uh, political agenda that that would probably send shivers down their spine. Uh, another important thing that this Common Core is doing is gathering huge amounts of data on uh, students. So, uh, you know, everything from their attitudes and their values and their beliefs and, uh, you know, what their family life, what their parents think, uh, what they think about homosexuality and drugs and, you know, sex and, you know, anything you can think of, the government wants to know. The, the condition of each one of their teeth, their psychological profiles, their psychiatric evaluation results, the government wants to know all of it. And under Common Core, this is all going to be vacuumed up uh, through, in, in large part through the Common Core tests that are, again, being funded from Washington, D.C. and imposed on the state. Um, so we have usurping local control and centralizing it in Washington, D.C., gathering up unprecedented amounts of information on your students, and then finally dumbing down the population of the United States and using this as a tool to indoctrinate the American people to accept what these people have in mind. And, and they tell you what they have in mind, and they tell you that this is what they're doing with schools. Uh, anybody can go on the Department of Education's website and read some of Arne Duncan's speeches. I encourage it because it's just, it's, it's mind-blowing. He's openly telling you that he's using the schools to create uh, green global citizens, and he's integrating the science of sustainability into every element of the curriculum from kindergarten through university. And uh, UNESCO, again, the UNESCO comes up again, uh, is his global partner in the uh, cradle-to-career education reform agenda. So uh, really what this is about is usurping the role of parents, usurping the role of uh, local government, and centralizing all power to indoctrinate the children in Washington, D.C. And that's what we're seeing, and we're going to be seeing a lot more of it unless the American people get off of the couch and do something about it. Wow. And Alex, and one more thing I want to touch on here. And whenever we have some big government program that seems totally illogical and totally crazy to us, there's usually some sort of crony capitalist element at play. So can you just describe who or what? And you already mentioned Bill Gates. So I got to I got to imagine he's got more than a political agenda here. Who stands to actually financially benefit from some of these programs? Ah, there you go, Mike. That's a huge, <laughs> huge angle that needs to be explored here. Uh, there's a number of key players that are going to be making big bucks, and they already are making big bucks off of this. Uh, Pearson, uh, a British uh, testing company and publishing house, is making millions and mil maybe even billions, I don't know, massive amounts of money. Uh, Microsoft, Apple, uh, I mean, you should ask the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, too. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce has been one of the top supporters of this. And, uh, you know, I, I think in some sense there are certain businessmen who are really just well-intentioned. They think, okay, well, you know, these schools are graduating, uh, you know, how should we put it nicely, uh, incompetents who, who aren't capable of filling the jobs that we need them to fill. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe if we start um, having some reforms in these schools, maybe we'll get students who can actually read, who can write, who can, uh, you know, use basic critical thinking skills. But uh, you're absolutely right. The, the crony capitalist angle here is huge. 
And, uh, you know, that probably deserves a book all on its own. But I think Pearson, uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates, uh, these are some of the people that need to be looked at closely. Well, Alex, I, I, like you, you mentioned earlier, we could go on about this stuff for hours and hours and hours, but instead I will just recommend highly that people pick up this book, Crimes of the Educators, especially if you have children, if you're sending children to school, if you're going to have children. I mean, this pretty much affects just about everybody unless you're going to uh, live in a hole the rest of your life. <laughs> so uh, I, I do highly recommend this book. It really is, like I said, I'm not exaggerating when I say this felt like a nightmare when I was sitting in bed. Maybe I shouldn't have been reading it late at night, but but uh, it really is shocking, scary stuff, Alex. And I appreciate the fact that you guys went out there and have published this very important work. Uh, before I let you go, why don't you just run through uh, all the ways people can find your work, uh, find this book, and, and anything else you'd like to plug. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you very much, Mark, for having me. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, great podcast you're doing, great work you're doing. Thank you. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, if people want to get the book, um, there's a number of ways they can get it. Uh, I, I always recommend uh, Amazon because, you know, then it, it looks good on the stats and people can leave reviews and whatnot. So that's always nice. Uh, otherwise, uh, people can get signed copies through the uh, WND Superstore. It's um, superstore.wnd.com. That's World Net Daily. They publish the book. Uh, and then it's also available uh, at least online through all the big retailers. I know uh, Walmart and Barnes and Noble and Target. I know all these were selling it online. I don't know about it in their physical stores. Uh, and then obviously people can get used copies on eBay or Amazon or whatever. You know, I, I just want to get the information out there. So, uh, you know, if you don't want to pay the whole price, please go get a used copy. You know, do whatever you need to do and uh, and grab that because, uh, you know, and, and I'll, I'll just conclude with this. Uh, you know, every totalitarian over the last hundred years has understood that to maintain their power, they need to control education. So if you have an interest in preserving liberty, if you want to you know, make sure that we don't go toward a totalitarian nightmare for a future, you need to be concerned about education, even if you don't have kids. As a taxpayer, as a citizen, if you like your liberties, if you like your country, if you like your constitution, this is an issue that you need to pay attention to. There's a reason why Hitler went after the private schools and the home schools. There's a reason why the Soviet Union spent so much of its attention on indoctrinating the students. Same thing with communist China. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> when we had locally controlled schools, it was much harder to have kind of a nationwide program of indoctrination. But we're rapidly moving toward an international program of indoctrination. And if liberty is going to survive on this planet, education is going to have to be a key focus for people who want to preserve it. Uh, so thanks again, Mark. I really appreciate you having me on and keep up the great work. Alex Newman, everybody, please do check out Crimes of the Educators, Alex, and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, Mark. Take care, Alex. Wow, guys, what an interesting or perhaps frightening interview there with Alex Newman. I've got, of course, some of my own thoughts, but first, I want to tell you a little bit more about our great sponsors. If you're a fan of the show, if you enjoy the interviews I'm doing like I did today with Alex Newman, I really do appreciate you supporting our great sponsors, starting with our friends at LibertyManiacs.com. Dan McCall, a former guest on the show, is producing some amazing, hilarious, and awesome political and satirical gear over at Liberty Maniacs, whether it's t-shirts, mugs, pillows, even pillows, guys. There are so many ways you can wear gear and express your political views and get into some conversations. And there's just no better way to start off a dialogue with someone than by wearing a funny t-shirt, noticing that they're commenting on it, and then, well, there you go. Time to lay out the whole libertarian agenda. You can receive a 10% discount on your entire order at Liberty Maniacs by using the discount code Lions of Liberty. That's all one word. And guys, you know I'm always talking about this health-sharing stuff and the great program put together by our friends at Health Excellence Select. Well, this is really personal for me because I was personally affected by the Obamacare mandates, which went into effect in the last year or two. I'm a freelancer. I don't work for one company that provides me with health care. So I actually go around and do this crazy thing called looking at the market and trying to choose the best health care plan for myself. And up until recently, I always had a catastrophic plan because I'm a relatively healthy guy. I keep myself in shape. I don't sit in the front of the TV all day. I actually try to go out and get some exercise. You know, I don't have a lot of health problems. I'm lucky in that sense. But thanks to these ACA mandates, I'm not allowed to do that anymore. I'm not allowed to have a catastrophic health care plan. You have to have this whole comprehensive plan that costs, guess what? When you, when you make a lot more guarantees and a lot more mandates, it's going to cost a lot more. My health care, my lowest health care I could have bought was more than double what I was paying for my catastrophic plan. Not only that, but the deductible was twice as much. So I would have had to spend seven or $8,000 before I saw a dime. But now with Health Excellence Select, I have to spend 
$500, just $500 on my own health care before I start getting reimbursed by my fellow health sharing members. So I do highly encourage you to look into Health Excellence Select. For more information, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. And guys, as I mentioned before, it might have been a bad idea for me to read Crimes of the Educators very late at night because it really is shocking information in this book. This is not your standard takedown of public education and why it's not good to have socialist schools or anything like that. Uh, This is really a hard-hitting, very fact-based, highly footnoted look at how the education system has been deliberately manipulated. It's not an accident. This is very well documented, again, in the book Crimes of the Educators, which we will link to in the show notes for this show at lionsofliberty.com slash 136. In this book, they go through extreme detail, documenting how people like John Dewey have deliberately crafted programs and methods of reading which which actively harm the brains of the children that are learning using these methods. Now, I was lucky to learn uh, in a phonics-based system. I, I've always loved reading. I think a lot of that part is because my parents read to me as a child, and eventually I would read my own books with my parents, and I would be the one reading. But I was always taught the basics of, of how to read. The ah, the mm, the sounds that the letters make. This is very important, because then you can read anything. You can read anything in the English language if you understand how the phonetics works. But if you're just taught to just read symbols and know what those symbols are, you're not really learning. You're just memorizing this. And he mentioned Chinese. Well, I actually took some Chinese lessons once, and that is exactly how the Chinese language works. And for someone who learned English, and at least in the proper way, it's very difficult to learn written Chinese. Spoken Chinese is a little bit easier uh, to figure out. But to learn written Chinese, I mean, it, it basically is this whole word system. You see a certain symbol, and that represents a certain thing. And then you you also associate that with how it's pronounced. Uh, it's a very different style of learning, but when we're trying to teach kids from the very beginning how to read and learn English by that very same method, essentially, and then later on try to introduce phonics sounds, it's really very difficult for them to try to merge those two things, especially because, as Alex discussed, it creates this conflict between two sides of their brains. So it's really not surprising when kids are reacting harshly to this, when kids are acting out in schools, where kids are just doodling away on their pads and drawing pictures and not paying attention to their class because they can't learn. They're not finding learning fun. They're finding learning stressful. All right, when, like, when someone is stressed out, I don't care if you're a kid or a 35-year-old man like myself, when someone gets stressed out and they're put in this environment every single day, well, you can't expect them to be anything but you know rejecting that in some way or another, whether it's just daydreaming or whether they're outwardly rejecting their teacher or, or getting into fights or getting into trouble in school. I mean, there are definitive causes for this, and obviously, in many ways, there are there are many, many factors involved. Some people might come from bad homes. Some some people might have trouble outside of the school that, that's causing a lot of these problems. It's, I'm not trying to claim that it's simply this reading method, but it's very clear that the top-down approach, the monopolistic control, which is ever-increasing with these programs such as Common Core, which is really removing local control over public education, it's very clear that these programs have very negative effects. And I mean, look, and I know you guys aren't going to agree with all the things Alex laid out. I don't necessarily agree that schools should be teaching the Bible or religion. I think that's something that should be up to parents. If they want their children to learn the Bible, they should teach it to them at home or but or send them to a private biblical school or a religious school. And that's all fine. I mean, I was raised Jewish. I went to Hebrew school, but it was after my regular school, after the school where I learned arithmetic and math and that sort of thing. So, I mean, there's a place for all of these things, and I don't necessarily agree with him that the Bible should be in school. But we don't have to agree on those minute points to see the larger problem, to see the larger issues with how the methods of teaching. And and look, we only scratched the surface today. So, I mean, I always recommend the books of my guests, but there's some of them that really stand out that I have to highly, highly recommend it. Honestly, if you have children, if you're going to send kids to school, if you have a learning disability yourself. Well, maybe you need to get the audiobook. I don't know. If, if, if reading's painful for you, I'm not going to ask you to read this book. But I mean, you can get them on Audible as well. There are many ways to listen to the book in addition to reading it. And I highly recommend doing so and consuming this information in any way you can. Um, there really are some major takeaways to take from this. Even if you might not agree with all of the libertarian agenda, my agenda, Alex Newman's agenda, you can still see the very serious problems that are created by these, these methods that are being pushed and really top-down 
forced onto schools, forced onto methods. We didn't talk about this in the book, but in one section he specifically discusses California and how California was sort of pushed into these programs or they, they, the California legislation started to change all the schools. And California has extremely high illiteracy rates now ever since they adopted these methods. And teachers that wanted to teach differently, that wanted to teach phonetically, were confronted with something called compliance officers. Yes, they actually had officers in California going around making sure that teachers were teaching in the quote-unquote proper method, that being this whole word, look-say method. And it's it, it's very obvious when you actually break down how this is done and compare it to, to phonetical reading, I mean, to phonetical learning, I should say, there's just no comparison. It's, it's a completely different approach, and it's, it's not shocking. And I don't know if every case of dyslexia, I'm sure there are many people that are more prone to learning disorders, people that are genetically born with brain issues that make learning difficult. I certainly don't want to discount that. But when you take that and add it on to these methods that can really cause conflicts in the brain, well, the, the results are obvious. And when you have a school system that's really just teaching people to be illiterate, it's teaching people not to think, it's teaching people to be compliant... It's teaching people to be surveilled, to be told when to go, to listen to a bell, to create this Pavlovian response. There are so many problems with the way our public schools are structured that I I don't know what the solution is other than to pull kids out of school. And look, I don't have kids. I can sit here in my office and tell people to pull their kids out of school. And I'm not necessarily saying that you should, but you at least need to be paying attention to what's going on in school. And and there's a reason that the tutoring industry is booming. There's a reason there there are things out there like hooked on phonics. I don't even know if it's still around, but there's a reason there was a market niche for that, and that's because so many kids were not getting what they needed from public school. Not only that, they were getting a negative method of learning for their public schools. And I think that there's nothing more important than creating children that are able to think logically and rationally. And when you can't read and you can't communicate effectively with your fellow man and learn history and read the Constitution and read some of the most important documents in the history of man, if you're not able to do that, you're going to be extremely hampered. But not only that, you're going to look for, quote unquote, smarter authorities. You're going to look for these wise old politicians. You're going to look to these oh-so-smart professors for your guidance on the the world and you're not going to become a free thinking individual and by god what we need more in this society is more free thinking individuals so please do check out alex newman and the late samuel blumenfield's excellent book crimes of the educators guys i am cooked i am fried i am done until next time live long and live free Mastery.